0: This morning, we're going to be talking about fighting. Fighting. Now, I know we're supposed to say things like, I'm a lover, not a fighter. And that, that phrase has, has a certain amount of rom- romanticism to it that's pretty positive. I'm a lover, not a fighter. But the Apostle Paul, because he was a lover, was a fighter. And so we're going to learn from him in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, because he was a lover, he was a fighter. Christians aren't very good at fighting. We tend to fight for the wrong things. Um, but what we're going to learn from the Apostle Paul is he was committed to fighting for the health of Christians, for the purity of the gospel, and therefore for the health of the church, and therefore for the glory of God. And so, he's not fighting for himself, he's not fighting for self-interest, but no doubt about it, in 2 Corinthians, he's fighting against those who assault and undermine the gospel. So, out of love for Christ, out of love for sinners, out of love for the glory of Christ, he's willing to fight uh, and take the gloves off, so to speak. And so, hopefully, we'll learn a thing or two about that so that we might have it rub off on us, so we might be better fighters uh, not fighting for the wrong things. Last week was uh, Reformation Day. And so I, I would have liked to preach the sermon last Sunday, but we had a guest speaker on Reformation Sunday. And so I guess I'm just a, a week late. Um, because with the Protestant Reformation, what has it been, 502 years now? It doesn't have a ring to it. Let's have a conference, the 502nd anniversary of the Reformation. 502, hashtag. Well, maybe 503 even sounds better. Anyway. I digress, (laughs) but God raised up men and women to fight to recover the gospel of God's grace 502 years ago, and we commemorate that, and we would say that was a good example, not by perfect people, but a good example of the right kind of fighting, okay? Out of love for God, out of love for people, because God has loved us, we want to fight for the purity of the gospel, but we're still needing to do it today. Okay, so as you're finding 2 Corinthians 10, um, just this week, the, my favorite commentary reading, uh, this week written by an evangelical who would affirm, say they would believe in the bodily death and resurrection of Jesus, it would be someone whose name you don't know, but my favorite commentary this week that helped me with history, background, language, denied that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. So, and, it, and this would be a teacher at a Christian college where some have sent their children and give lots of money. So, and I'm not going to name names because I want you to be in suspense. But it reminded me that, that we need to fight. We need to fight for the truth of the gospel, not just 502 two years ago and be happy about that. But even in our very day, there are people who don't get the gospel right even when they're among us. And they name the name of Christ. And so let's learn from the apostle Paul when we're gonna, when we're gonna fight and how we're gonna fight. So no outline this morning. I just hope the text rubs off on you. Um, we're gonna work our way through chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. Uh, here's, here's, here's what's happened, uh, so far in the book. Um, the apostle Paul is super encouraged because most of the Corinthians have come around apparently. Okay. So they, they were misled by false apostles. They were starting to believe things that were not true about Jesus. They were starting to believe that salvation was not by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Um, They're being misled, and the Apostle Paul has reached out to them through various means, and he's written to them, and and they're, they're, they're turning around, coming back to the true Christ, coming back to the true gospel. He's encouraged, he's optimistic. But in chapter 10 and 11, he's going after the fakers after the misleaders, and he's also giving one last appeal to those who are still siding with those who are gospel corruptors. And so, just so you're aware, um, ten and eleven, he, he takes the gloves off a bit, and it's this final appeal and plead for for there to be repentance so let's go ahead and work our way through 18 verses lord willing uh if not there'll be part two next week how about verse one i paul myself entreat you earnest i care i'm appealing to you by the meekness and gentleness of christ just stop there for a moment he's going to talk about war he's going to talk about fighting so I love it that he starts out, I'm appealing to you, but you know what? I'm not losing control. I'm not acting un like I'm appealing to you by, by, by the meekness of Christ. Right? Christ who, who was perfectly controlled. I'm, I'm following as his apostle. I'm not just blowing off some steam and losing my cool. Remember Jesus, perfect control, but Jesus also made a whip and drove out the false teacher. Right? So just keep that in mind. There's a good tone set here, I think. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I'm away. Probably using sarcasm there. It's probably responding to the assault on his character. Oh, the Apostle Paul, he's a big guy. He, he says big words when he's not around. And then he shows up and, and he's weak, questioning his credibility. And the Apostle Paul says, yeah, I'm that guy. I'm owning that. He's not saying it's true. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm that one. As if I'm, I'm humble, as in weak in person. Prone to harshness or extremes. Unlike the, the nice fake apostles. They're so nice. Not like Paul. I think he's responding to that kind of spirit. And, and commentators tend to think that way. Then verse 2. I beg you, earnest appeal. I beg you that when I am present... I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Probably flesh there, he uses it in different ways, but naturalistic, not spiritual, even sinful. So, yeah, you're going to see harshness like you've never seen before when I show up. If these guys don't get their act together... This is battle. This is fighting. He's going to use war terminology because they're misleading those who Christ died for. Promoting a false Christ, a fake Christ, a lesser Christ. And so he is serious about this. And I think we should be serious about it. When the gospel is undermined, when the truth about Jesus Christ is undermined, it's not time to be nice. These are not like those in Philippians where Paul talks about they're preaching Christ, but they're doing it with wrong motives. And Paul basically says, let them, I don't care. As long as they're preaching Christ. These are not those people. He's not saying, well, it's fine as long as Christ is preached and it's a false Christ. No, that's not what's going on there. They're naming the name of Jesus. In chapter 11, he's going to say different Christ. Okay? Different gospel. So we're not okay with that. He's not okay with that. You shouldn't be okay with that. This is when you fight. This is when you take the gloves off or put them on, whichever ones you'd like to do, whatever you'd like to do. I'm going to be bold like you've never seen bold before. Now, maybe even part of the accusation, they're accusing him of walking in the flesh. Might, it might even be, you know, the Apostle Paul, he's so sinful. And you know how we can know he's sinful? Well, in chapter 3, remember the Apostle Paul talks about how, how Christ fulfills the law. Remember how, how, how we don't, we're not under obligation to fulfill the law for God to accept us. Oh, he's such an antinomian, if you want a big theological word. He's so against God's law, and we know that God's law is good, righteous, and holy. Well, they would be right. God's law is good, righteous, and holy. But the Apostle Paul is making the case, has made the case, had to positively promote and defend the fact that that's why we look to Christ to fulfill it for us. That's why salvation is by grace and only grace. And it comes to us. We receive it by faith, by trusting in God, not by what we do. It's not a reward. And the Apostle Paul has to promote that and defend that. And oftentimes, then when people don't like that message, they assault you. Or me, and they say, you're promoting salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, because you want to do whatever you want to do. You just want to behave badly. Might be where the accusation comes from. They're saying Paul walks according to the flesh. He's so sinful that he's not upholding the old covenant law. Just read chapter 3. Well, the apostle Paul is going to have no part in it. And just as an aside... The Apostle Paul was no, again, let's use the big word. He was no antinomian. He wasn't against Christians obeying God's law. But he wants them to do so because they're Christians out of gratitude. Because they've been accepted through Christ. That's Romans chapter 6. But the accusation comes frequently. We have it in our day. If you truly promote salvation as all the work of God to the point where God and God alone receives all of the glory, worthy is the Lamb, some are going to accuse you of license. You just want to behave however you want to behave. Oh, no, no, that's not what we're saying. So, again, that might be where that's coming from. I think it probably is where it's coming from there at the end of verse 2. They they suspect us of walking according to the flesh. You're sinful, however we want to live. Now he picks up on Let's keep going in verse 3. Uh, he's going to use flesh in different ways. For though we walk in the flesh, I don't think he's saying, yeah, sinful desires. It can mean either. He just means naturally. We're not glorified yet. Not a perfect world. Uh, we're living this life as we know it. So I think that's what he means there. Though we walk in the flesh, naturally, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Or Naturally. Here comes the war talk. How about verse 4? Look there with me if you would. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh or natural, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Fighting words. Again, spiritual fighting. We're, we're going to see. He's not talking about physical fighting. That's not what's at issue here. But spiritual battle going on. And we, what do we do with our spiritual weapons? He says... Uh, They have divine power to destroy strongholds. Borrowing from the the military metaphor. okay, The the, the stronghold, uh, the the fortress. Well, he's suggesting that our kind of battle destroys spiritual fortresses. It could also be used even for walls, for protection. Well, our kind of weapons, they destroy those kinds of walls when it comes to fighting for the truth regarding Jesus Christ. And it makes me say, I hope it makes you say, tell me more. What kind of weapon would we have that would be a supernatural weapon that would have the power to destroy false teachers' arguments is what he's going to get at. I'm like, tell me, I need this. Well, he's going to go on to explain. But I'm already going to suggest to you, this this has divine power it 's not of the flesh or natural divine power we 're going to end up seeing I mean my mind is going to Romans chapter one verse sixteen that the gospel is the power of God for salvation what we 're going to end up seeing is the, the assault against the gospel is responded to by us with divine power to destroy the assault with nothing other than the gospel. The true gospel ends up being what the, what the power is what the apostle Paul uses as the as the the, the fake apostles promote a fake Christ he responds with the truth about Christ so that the people of God will hear and respond based upon the truth about Christ so it's not in some kind of secret it's not in some kind of weird experience or some kind of mysticism he's going to confront gospel opponents with the truth of the gospel the truth of Christ it's where the power is let's keep going verse 5 we destroy or we demolish we destroy arguments See, it's not physical, even though he's using that imagery. We, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion. Literally, every lofty, every high thing. Uh, it's a word that's used for arrogance. You think highly of yourself. But it's also used for, for a high tower or a high wall or a high fortress. I think uh, it's, it's not wrong to see, see the, the, the dual, dual meaning. The intention. You know, we destroy, we destroy the false, bogus arguments, but we also, through the power of the gospel, we destroy those high fortresses, those arrogant forces, fortresses that, that assault the gospel. And it's the utter arrogance if, if Christ is who he said he was to somehow suggest that you think better and he's something other than he said he was. So he, 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 he attacks those. And notice, That they're raised up against the knowledge of God. The true knowledge of God. The truth about God. The truth about God and how He saves. The truth about God and how He saves through His Son. So what happens is, and we deal with this all the time, there are all kinds of people talking in the name of God, in the name of Christ. You might watch them on TV. You might listen to their podcast. You might know them yourself. Hopefully you're not one of them. But they have all kinds of, of... What do I want to say? Teachings, theories. To me, God is like this. And to me, God is this way. And and I feel God is this way. And I feel God saves this way. And I feel Jesus is this. And there's all these, uh, you know, thank you for telling us so much about yourself, but tell us about God kind of moments. These arrogant, lofty things that need to be destroyed because they're actually attacking the true knowledge of God. And remember, we've learned where the true knowledge of God is found. The true knowledge of God is found. Even in 2 Corinthians, we learn the true knowledge of God is found in Christ. Like even John chapter 1 would be... Well, the passage I'm thinking of is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. The knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You You want to know God? You've got to look to Christ is what Paul is arguing. John chapter 1, same kind of thing. Jesus has revealed God to us. And so where there's all the speculation about God, it's not true, it's not grounded in the truth about Jesus Christ, the Apostle Paul says, we have war against that. We're destroying those false, bogus fortresses. And that's the kind of fighting Christians should do. Do you think much about spiritual fighting? He's not saying arguments are bad as in having to argue a point. But these are bogus arguments. These are false speculations that are aimed against the true knowledge of God. And the Apostle Paul will have no part in it. And again, I remind you, these are not atheists he's talking about. In chapter 11, they promote a different Christ. Christ and And we 're kind of soft, and we think, well you know as long as they're talking about Christ, as long as they use the right word, no, but it's a christ who 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 doesn't save it 's a Christ who needs more, needs you, needs something extra in addition to, and so other Christs are no Christ at all, and the apostle paul says they're they're promoting philosophies that have to be destroyed because paul's a mean guy, well, at this point in time he seems- he, he But he's saying, you ain't seen nothing yet if I show up and there's still this clowning around going on. Seems pretty harsh, I know. But if we think about what's at stake, it's not so harsh. It's fitting. I want to say more about that, but let's move on to the rest of verse 5. And take every thought captive to obey Christ. Now that's a great verse and sometimes we use it out of context and it's still probably helpful because we, God helps us even when we are misusing the Bible. <laughs> to take every thought captive in obedience to Christ. That's true. I want, I want to think the right thoughts and I want to honor God with my mind and not think bad thoughts. That's all true. I just wouldn't use this verse. Keep doing that. Just find a different verse. Here, right... Here there's this war going on against these ideologies, these false theologies. And you know what? In war, they're captives taken. And what we're trying to do here, he says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. So it's wrong thinking about God, speculating about God that's not true to Christ as Christ has revealed God to us. And so what he says, what we want to do is have right thinking about God and we do so in obedience to Christ. He's the Lord. He's the one who came here and didn't stay a baby. He grew up and talked and explained things and did things and interpreted his own actions so we can know things. And now what do we do? Fight just because we're mean-spirited? No, we fight because what's on the line is the gospel. So we fight out of obedience to Christ. Devotion to Christ. Every Christian I know wants to be more devoted to Christ. I've never met a Christian who I could say to them, do you want to be more devoted to Christ? Who would say no. Well, I'm inviting you to have opportunity to be more devoted to Christ. To obey Christ. We obey Christ with our thoughts. True thinking about God. And then we do all we can by God's grace to help other people who are misled by fake or bogus apostles. I have to be careful I don't say a bad word. Fake or bogus apostles. It just sounds like I'm on the... Dangerous ground. To help them. So they, they are showing their obedience to Christ. Again, not for our salvation, but because He's provided it. And so we, we want to serve Him and honor Him. He's the great one. Every thought captive to obey Christ. The children's song is right. We are in the Lord's army. It's a spiritual army. Again, too many times Christians want to fight about things that we don't need to fight about or we don't even know enough to fight about. They're issues of conscience. And then we won't fight about what we need to fight about. Okay, some things you need to know for this to, be, for this to work. I need to take a breath, okay? so some, some, For this to work, there has to be such a thing as objective truth. Right For this to resonate with you, there has to be such a thing as objective truth. When we talk about objective truth, we're talking about that which is is actually real. It's in time and space and history. Jesus was a historic person who came into this world, was born of a woman, okay? He grew up, he He did everything right on planet Earth, okay. Then he voluntarily went to the cross and died in time and space and real history was crucified by death experts. And then he was bodily raised from the dead three days later. Then he bodily ascended into heaven. You ascend if you're a king. He, was, he, he had his coronation, if you will, when he ascended to the throne. The, the, these are objective realities. And then what else is objective is Jesus said, believe in me and you'll have eternal life. But if you don't believe in me, you're condemned. John chapter 3. These are objective things. Jesus really said those things. He, He didn't just say, well, I did certain things and it's up to you to see how you feel about it. Maybe you can write a poem of what it means to you. He didn't that see, that's subjective. Subjective is good. We want to have certain feelings, and poetry is wonderful. And I'm not, don't get me wrong. We want to respond with gratitude and, and thanksgiving and, and um, we have emotion and response. But that's that's subjective and it's good. But the objective is Christ died and rose again, and he says, if you believe in me, you'll have eternal life too. But if you don't, you're condemned. But see, so but fighting for, for the faith is ludicrous if there's not objective truth. One of the reasons I think we don't fight is we we tend to not think in objective terms. We could talk more about that, other objective things, but maybe another thing that's worth noting, none of this works if you you don't know things. (laughs) If you don't know things, this isn't going to resonate with you. And what I mean by knowing things is things that are true about God. If you don't know things to the point where you actually understand them and have convictions about them, you're not going to say, this fighting thing is so dumb. But if you know things with conviction about what Jesus did, what He promised, what he taught, how he explained things. You're going to have convictions and you're going to say, if you say otherwise, you are wrong. Because we're dealing with objectivity. You've got to know things. If you don't know that salvation, let's just use the Apostle Paul from his argumentation in chapter 5 and 3. If you don't know that justification is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. His fight seems pretty overblown. And if you don't know things, by the way, you're in the right place because we, we like to help you know things. Okay? I like to learn things and share it with others. The Apostle Paul talks about uh, in chapter 5 that we have this righteousness. Righteousness means um, obedience to God's law. We have righteousness credited to us. It's given to us. It's not earned by us. And it's given to us by faith. And that's because Christ is the perfect, perfectly obedient one. Okay? He did everything right. So now if we trust in Him, all of His right doing is given to us freely. It's credited to us. It's in our spiritual bank account. And now, God accepts us. Okay? The list could go on. But if we don't know things and have convictions about these things... We wouldn't fight. The Apostle Paul says in chapter 5, everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Everyone who is in Christ, 5.17, is a new creation. Everyone. Well, how do you get in Christ? You're united to Christ by faith. Everyone who's united to Christ by faith is a new creation? That's what he says. Yeah, but I think you've got to do all this other stuff. I think you have to have this other kind of experience that I had. And I wrote a book on it. And you have to read my book to know how to have the experience. Blah, 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 blah. Right? Everyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Conviction about that makes me say to the person who has this lofty, arrogant ideology, blah, 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 blah. And I might sound like a jerk if I don't know things, and if you don't know things, and if we don't share the same convictions about the things. Salvation is of the Lord. That's a thing to know. None of this resonates if we don't know things. Okay? None of this works if we don't know these things well enough to be able to clearly spot a lie. Let's know this well enough to know when there's a lie about one of these things, we say that that's not true. We can be nice about it, at least at first. And none of this works if we don 't see the seriousness of the issues if we 're not talking about eternal life if we 're not talking about heaven if we 're not talking about hell if we 're not talking about the glory of Christ this is just another reason to yawn i 'm wasting my time we 're wasting our time the apostle paul i don 't think is wasting his time I think' you see, I have a good i hope this, this kind of fighting rubs off on us we 're lovers of God because we 've been loved. By God. And so we love other people made in God's image. And because we are lovers, we are by necessity fighters. Extreme things call for extreme measures. People who just fight look crazy. People who fight for the wrong things look crazy. But there's a time and a place for extremes. This isn't a perfect illustration, but I got to use the illustration. This week, we, in our backyard, had a massive hawk. And hawks come in all shapes and sizes, right? It was a big hawk. I don't know how many, you know, it was big. Molly sent me pictures, blow by blow, all the stuff going on, and this big hawk, and we have a little dog, okay? Ozzy is our dog, and we have a little dog. We love our dog. So, owls, all kinds of weird things, you know, I've gone out there with the water hose, don't don't tell the authorities. I'm maybe breaking a law. But, you know, spray the owl to get it out of the yard. There's this big hawk. And the hawk swooped down and killed a squirrel. Now, my dog's bigger than a squirrel, but not much bigger. <laughs> I didn't know hawks got squirrels. So it's... It's it's in the, and then it picks up the squirrel and then it flies. The squirrel is so big, it, it, uh, it flies into the neighbor's sliding glass window. <laughs> Molly said it was like a big thud in the neighborhood. So I'm not. Am I lying? Okay. <laughs> Where is this going? I just wanted to tell you the story. <laughs> neighbor throws a rock at it, and then the, and the, it puts up its wings, and, you know, it does, hawks don't hiss, but whatever they do this, like a hiss, like, you know what, over my dead body, over my, you know, he's going to have my squirrel. So, we went out there, you know, Owen and I had, like, when I got home, and then we had like a brooms, just in case it got too close, but I wanted to get it close, and I'll get to get a selfie, <laughs> right? I'm that guy, so... But we had something, you know, just in case. And then we were going to get the GoPro and put it on a pole. And I, I have my mom taught me better than that, so we stopped. But if that hawk had my dog, no telling what I would have done. I might be in jail today because of use of a firearm in city limits. But I would do just about anything because of the extreme situation would call for extreme measures. Instead, we just watched it tear the flesh of the cute little helpless squirrel. <laughs> if I would have gone out there and shot it dead, I probably would be in jail right now. And the neighbor would have said, what is your problem? What are you doing? I'm calling the cops. It would have been fitting the, the situation. But if it would have been someone's pet, then all of a sudden, extreme measures. That's my only only point is, fighting just to fight is stupid and uncalled for and can be rather grotesque. But when we're talking about the issues we're talking about, when it comes to eternal life and salvation, how dare you not fight? How dare I not fight? Let's keep moving. No more, no more stories like that. But it was a good story, right? God help me get back on track. Now, now, a little uh, perspective check here. In verse six, he says. Being, being ready to punish, so he's using harsh warfare kind of terminology, being ready to punish every disobedience, disobedience to Christ, uh, lack of allegiance and devotion to Christ, even though they name the name of Christ. He's ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. And I really like that because that, that, what, what's that showing? It's showing mercy. You know, this is a bad scene and I'm, I'm angry about it with righteous indignation and, and there's going to be punishment. And again, I think he's speaking spiritually here, but once your obedience is complete, he, he's leaving room for repentance. He's, he, he's showing mercy because he wants there to be a, a turnaround. He wants there to be a change. And now for another earnest plea you'll see uh, in verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. Look at what is before your eyes. Be reasonable here is what he's saying. Look at the facts. To put it harshly, open up your eyes. This, this couldn't be more obvious. Verse 7 goes on to say, if, any, if anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. This is really simple, Right? Just just look at the facts. Open your eyes is what he's saying. If you belong to Christ, I belong to Christ, you will accept me. The problem is they're not accepting Him. They're not accepting His gospel or His Christ. So they can't both be right. There's a conflict Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, chapter 1, verse 1, by the will of God. If that's true, if he is truly belonging to Christ as an apostle of Christ, according to God's will, then they're going to accept him. Let me put it in a little bit different way. If you're a Christian, you accept the apostle Paul and his authority and his gospel because he's an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. And it's not anything new for people to not like Paul. I mean, they're they're in the campus. I like Jesus. I just don't like Paul. It, it it doesn't work if he's truly an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what he's been arguing and trying to prove throughout the whole letter. But what do we do? We think, you know what? I I, I, I kind of want to reimagine my. Uh, understanding of things and I think God is maybe this way and God is that way and I, I feel that Jesus actually should do it this way and so what we don't like are people who speak with authority like the Apostle Paul. Now, I think Paul teaches the same thing Jesus teaches and I think I can prove it and we've seen throughout he's, he's not giving anything new but it's him here saying, look, this is obvious. If I'm an apostle of Christ, then you'll accept me in my gospel. Then verse 8 says, let's keep moving. For even if I boast a little too much for our of our authority, again, playing off the accusation, I think, which the Lord gave for building you up, are you hearing this, and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. You don't like it that we talk about, I'm an apostle. Remember, apostle means authority, sent with authority. So when Paul says, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's red letter, if you will, even though if it's not red letter, it's the same. And so apparently they don't like it because Paul's always dropping the apostle card, always dropping the apostle card. You know what? If you have an apostle card, you should drop it, okay? I don't think anybody does today because I think you had to visibly see the risen Christ in order to qualify as an apostle. So when I drive by a church today on my way home, which I do on most Sundays, and the pastor is apostle, brother, Brother saint, doctor, so-and-so, I just smirk. I mean, if by the way, if, if he's an apostle, you should go to that church. <laughs> okay, He has the authority of Christ. Well, the apostle Paul is a real apostle, and he's saying, you know what? Yeah, you know what? We might talk a lot about that because what I say is true. I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. So so come over to the right team and put on the right jersey or you're crazy. And I get the crazy part from look at what is before your eyes. Verse 7. Are we on verse 9? Okay. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with all my letters, or with my letters. 2 Corinthians is super hard. Everybody admits that because you're trying to read that and go, how sarcastic is he being? You've got to read a lot into it because he, he, everyone agrees he's, using, he's miming. Is that the right word? He's imitating. He's borrowing from the accusers, from the opponents. And so just how much and where, it's kind of fascinating. It makes it challenging. I don't want to be. Uh, I don't want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. Oh, Paul! You know he writes this harsh stuff, and you know there's not even a trigger warning, and well, I, they probably didn't say that back then. They just were in their safe spaces. But I mean, uh, the, right? He's, our feelings are hurt, and we like our our apostles because they're just nice, and it's nice to be nice. And can't Paul be nice? Yeah, I I mean, I realize I'm I'm superimposing how we think today on them, but there's a little bit of that going on as far as our feelings are hurt. Well, you know what? It's not nice to deny the Christ of the Bible either, you idiots. Right? Speaking of them, not you. (laughs) I mean, it's pretty hardcore. Am I now frightening you with my letters? I don't want to do that. Verse 10, for they say his letters are weighty and strong. I want to go strong, right? But his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. That's not nice, by the way, to say that. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. You call me a two-face, I'm actually not a two-face. But again, their guys looked great. Great. They looked the part. Their guys sounded magnificent. They sounded the part. But we should learn just because you look the part and sound the part doesn't mean you play the part. Paul wasn't so good looking apparently and purposely based upon 1 Corinthians chose not to talk fancy talk even though he had the ability to. He chose to make it simple so people could understand it. And he actually is the one playing the right part. So let's learn something about that in our Christian minds. Okay? Because we think, oh, they, they look the part, they sound the part, and they have so many followers, they must be playing the right part. Doesn't so much look like it here. Verse 12 says, Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. And I, Did I just use the idiot word a little while ago? Not too far away from the gist of what he's saying. They're without understanding. They're ignoramuses. Maybe that sounds better in church. They're clueless. They're ignorant loons is what I have in my notes because I kind of like the sound of that. They're commending themselves, really? And commending one another? Is that where you get your legitimacy? That's that's crazy. Self-commendation? 13 then says, we'll come back to the commendation thing, but we will not boast beyond limits, but we'll boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. Boast as in, in Christ being his apostle. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come to you all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others. Ever so quickly, we're not the Johnny-come-latelys. Okay? Apparently they're saying we deserve to be the apostles because we're here on the ground. And uh, so we're in charge here. And Paul's saying, listen. I'm the one that brought the gospel to you. And you got converted by hearing the true gospel. And so there'll be none of that going on. I have every right. As a true apostle, having been there, it doesn't make any sense. Their argument doesn't make any sense. Now let's keep going and wrap things up. Verse 15 says, But our hope is that as your faith increases, spiritual maturity, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence let the one who boasts boast in the lord take it from jeremiah 9:24 and jeremiah 9:24 it's boasting because they understand god they know god so we're back to that same theme The boasting should be, I've come to know the true living God. And in our context, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we're trying to get people to boast about. Not, I'm wonderful and I've got a great platform and look what I've done. and Look at my articulation and look at me, look at me, look at me. No, what we should be boasting about is that people know God. And they know God in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the true gospel. Then 18 says, For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Now that just makes common sense. The Lord commends. That's the one who is actually approved of God. The one who is commended by the Lord. How do we do that? Let's end on that question. How can you know that the Lord would commend you in your gospel proclamation, promotion, and defense? how can you have confidence that the Lord would commend you? You'd have confidence if you stick to the script. If you're preaching not yourself, to borrow from chapter 4, but you're preaching Christ, and you're preaching the Christ who is our righteousness, and you're preaching Christ who is our justification, and you're preaching Christ who is our sanctification, you're preaching new creation in Christ by faith and only by faith. If you're saying all the things that are true and right about Christ so He receives the glory, guess what? You'll be commended by Christ. Not commended by peers or commended by yourself, but you're commended by Him. So I think chapter 4, verse 5 is a good cross-reference to that. I've got more I want to say. Next week we will be here so I can say more things. Next week he's really concerned that there are people who name the name of Christ who are still listening to people who promote a different Jesus and who promote a different gospel. And he's afraid they're going to be led away like you'd be led away by a prostitute. Okay? And so let's come back next week and be ready to, to know that there's a difference between the true Christ and false Christ and that we wouldn't be misled by those who are good talkers and that we would want to stand against the good talkers if they're not talking the good news about christ let's pray father thank you so much for this morning thank you for the enthusiasm and excitement that we have to learn more about jesus our great savior and lord we know that he is the king of kings and lord of lords there's no one greater than him and it is our great honor to be able to even know him and to know that we're not facing his condemnation but because of what he's done for us we we have peace with you even now and we look forward to no longer struggling when we see Christ and are made like Him. Lord, thank you so much that this morning we're able to eat and drink as Jesus said we should, uh, in remembrance of Christ. We're thankful that uh, that you attend these things and attend this service by the power of the Spirit of Christ even among us. Please supernaturally work during this time as we've heard your Word and now want to receive from you that which can strengthen us and help us spiritually thank you so much that we are remembering the lord jesus christ that we are empowered by his spirit we're thankful that salvation is of the lord and it's not something that we accomplish in jesus name amen